if companies have strong values, which your values come straight from your purpose, that people are going to want to work for companies as well as do business with companies, all things being equal, they're going to want to work for and do business with companies that are for purpose. Welcome to the Marketing Trust Podcast. I am your host, Adam Buchanan. I believe trust must exist before a transaction can take place. I give marketers the tools they need to infuse more trust in their marketing to help grow their business. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Marketing Trust Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Buchanan. It's great to be here with you today. This episode, we're talking about why embracing your flaws can actually help create trust with your audience. Really excited about this topic. Uh, before we dive into that, give you a few housekeeping items. Last week, I was in Madison, Wisconsin, speaking at the American Family Dream Bank, all about influencer marketing. Had a great group of people there. I loved Madison. Madison, it was my first time there. Loved the cheese curds. Loved the cheese. Loved all things cheese there. It was awesome. And I even got to bring some of my honey, and I did a pairing and it came out 10 out of 10. So if you're ever there, make sure to uh, try the cheese. And if you have some honey for me, definitely bring it along. It was definitely worth pairing. I had a great time just meeting with local businesses, got to meet with Zendesk, got to meet with Carrie Hyman. She is a micro documentary creator with her husband. They do a lot of work in the outdoor industry, so we had a lot to talk about there. I also got to meet with Andrew and Gracie Foxwell, awesome dynamic duo, married couple that does Phenomenal work in paid ads and helping businesses in that way. So it's just awesome. Madison is just a hub of great talent. And I'll be sharing that replay from my speech on influencer marketing. If you're interested in getting that, when it's ready, I'll email it out to my subscribers. So make sure to sign up for my email at adamcbuchanan.com. Also wanted to give a big shout out to a listener, Paul. Got to meet Paul at the event that I was at, and he showed up with a jar of his very own honey. Usually, I'm the one bringing honey to these events, but he brought me some to share, which is awesome. So thank you, Paul. I thoroughly enjoyed the Wisconsin honey. Upcoming on January, excuse me, July 19th through 20th, I'll be speaking at SMADCON in Charleston, South Carolina. Be on a panel talking about all things business transparency. We're really excited for that, but more excited to introduce our guest today on the Marketing Trust, Mr. Stan Phelps. Welcome. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me. Yes, and Stan is the founder of PurpleGoldfish.com. He is a TEDx speaker, Forbes contributor, IBM futurist, and focuses on customer experiences and employee engagement. I had the great pleasure of meeting Stan at the recent IBM event uh, last month in Las Vegas. Think. Think. I, I loved that event. Think. Think 2018. What, what was something that really stuck out at that event? What, what did you like about that event, Stan? Uh, it, was, it was tremendous. It was the first time that IBM has kind of put all of their functional areas from everything from Watson to security to cloud um, all under one roof. Um, so it was an, it was a massive event, and it was awesome. Yeah, I think it, yeah, and it, there were people everywhere. There was so much to learn and so much to just consume. It was it was uh, it was phenomenal. Truthfully, I, I really love the keynote. 
uh, from the CEO. She just did an incredible job to kind of kick off the event. And the other thing that I really enjoyed was everyone kept talking about AI and they had kind of changed the vernacular a little bit of going from artificial intelligence to augmented intelligence. And I really, really enjoyed that because it's, it's taking the data we have and making a better experience versus something fake or, or artificial that I think actually rubs people the wrong way, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and, and IBM has really made a move to get away from using cognitive computing or, to your point, artificial intelligence. It's really about you plus what AI can do. Yep, absolutely. And so great event there. Loved meeting you, Stan. It was, it was great to connect and, and meet with the other fellow IBM futurists as well. And you handed we, me a book. We, we, we connected and I got some honey. It was all That's good. That's right. How was, how, was the, how was the honey taste test out of you know, all the many honey taste tests that I'm sure you, you do all the time? How did, how did my rank? It was, it was awesome. And that was a fun, fun night. We were over at the, uh, the Bellagio. I had a nice dinner over there and that was a nice capper to the dinner. That's right. Yes, that's that's what I generally go for is like this nice little sweet tablespoon of of awesomeness is is what my honey uh, does for people. So good. Glad glad you've got to partake and and enjoyed it on a scale from zero to awesome. Looks like I'm I'm ranking pretty well there. So you handed me a book that you had authored at the event. Really pumped to pick this up. It was called Red Goldfish, which you know I love red. Uh, mm-hmm. clearly by looking at my face. Um, but I love this book. It was phenomenal because it talks about identifying what your purpose is. And, and before we dive into Pink Goldfish, which I'm really excited to get to, just want to take a minute and, and talk about, and, and for those listeners as well, it's, it's good to revisit your purpose. And why would you say that's so important, Stan? Well, I think that's, for most organizations or for most people, it's really your North Star um, it's that guiding thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. <clears throat> it's, your, it's your reason for being. And if you can, in, if you understand what your purpose is, if you can embrace it, if you can find alignment with what you do, both personally in life as well as in your work, um, that ultimately leads to a lot of fulfillment. And I think that's what we're all at the end of the day looking for. Yeah, I think that's great. And you shared a lot of great case studies. And I loved how you broke down the different archetypes of, you know, coming back to this purpose. And there was, you know, the liberator, the protector and and all these different ones. And so if this is something that's a need for your business, definitely think about, you know, revisiting your North Star, your purpose of your business. I just loved all the stories you shared. And of course, you shared Burt's Bees which is awesome. They do a lot of work with, you know, giving back to the community and really promoting the health of bees, which is a huge problem considering that, you know, one out of three bites that we have every day is, is provided by uh, a bee. And so I loved that, you know, of course uh, I I love bees, but you also talked about great brands like Harley Davidson, Patagonia, so many other examples in there that just really have that strong stance, very bold and, and very polarized, and what were some other ones that really stuck out to you as you were putting that together, Stan? Well, we, we studied, God, we studied over 250 brands to try to understand not only their purpose, 
but try to your point to see um, which archetypes we could build around. Because we all know, and again, I I think my co-author Graham Newell and I really stand on the shoulders of, of giants who have you've really made a great case for understanding your why and your purpose in business. But I think it's hard to go beyond just that. We know that we need to spend some time on this. And what we tried to do by looking at these 250 plus companies is to really define that there's eight different ways that you can do it. Um, and you mentioned a couple already, the protector, the liberator, the advocate, the challenger. Um, and then ultimately, kind of at the top of that is the master. And the master type brands are really trying to um, really redefine a market and not only do that, but kind of give back um, and improve the world. So we covered in that chapter folks like Warby Parker, who I think is a great example of, of somebody who's redefining an industry but also giving back and trying to improve the world. Yeah, absolutely. And again, definitely a great layout of, you know, really getting back to that purpose. And I love the framework that you, you shared in that book. One, one last thing. I just think that as we go forward, Adam, we're no longer going to look at a business based on their, their corporate filing status. You know, it used to be 20 years ago that you, you went the nonprofit route and you could do something that was very, very much entrenched in purpose. Or you went the other way. You went the for-profit route and you might have made a decent living, but it was kind of a little bit soulless. Well, I think going forward that the lines between for-profit and nonprofit are really blurred. And that going forth, we'll only look at businesses and say, that's a for-purpose business, and those, are, those businesses are not for purpose. And the ones that are for-purpose, I think, are going to win in the end. So tell me about nonprofits going forward, because you know that's an interesting point of view there, and I think is one that I, I absolutely agree with. And, and a struggle that I see a lot of nonprofits getting into is they're so for-purpose that they don't really maybe have a strong business model to, to carry them through. Do you, do you feel like there may be a shifting in the tide where there, where they're going to have to think about how to sustain that? Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. Oh yeah. You, you, you've started to see groups like uh, AARP, which has started to develop revenue models. Um, you're starting to see things out there like venture philanthropy Um the old model of nonprofits getting by on just donations, I think, is 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 old school, and uh, I think the smart ones going forward are going to start to develop revenue models. They're going to start to leverage um, marketing in a different way to become more sustainable, um, and and then I think also on the for profit side for-profits are starting to tap more into purpose. And I think we're not that far away from purpose becoming the ultimate differentiator in business. And what kind of effect does that have on a business if, if you have a purpose? You know, this is something I've, I've seen a lot with even my own clients that I work on and, and the millennial target. They, they are very purpose-driven. That, that is something they, that's how they buy. That's, that's how they go through consideration phases. 
yes. phases and purposes? I, I mean, tell me about that. So you hit the nail on the head. You know, it, we're we're only two years away from millennials being fifty one percent of the workplace, and and if that doesn't if that isn't shocking, by twenty twenty five, that number is pre- projected to be over seventy percent of the workforce. Um, and those, you know, millennials are going to start to make the, the lion's share of the money going forward. And you hit the nail on the head, Adam. They have different priorities for the companies that they work for. And they also have different expectations of the companies that they do business with. And I know we're going to, t- we're going to, we're going to really touch on authentic, authenticity and trust a little bit later, but they have much greater expectations and, and the studies have proved that us, but we want to work with them because these people are going to, they're, they're only getting older and they're, you know, starting their own companies. They're, you know, moving up in their careers. And so I think it's, it's scary, but also exciting for those companies that have been around for a long time that they need to think of, okay, I'm not just having this person buy for me. There might be a partnership down the road and I've got to make sure my ducks are in a row because who knows? They could start some, you know, really massive disruptive company in my space. And if I'm not in good graces of having my purpose lined up, that could be a huge risk. And, and I think we also live in a world where you can no longer say one thing and do another. And so having a strong purpose that you stay true to is going to be key. You can't, you can't, it's not possible to say that you do X, Y, and Z and not be able to back it up because people are going to call you on it. Absolutely. And I think that's totally the world we're in. And, you know, as Jay Bear even says, you know, customer service is now a spectator sport. (laughs) So, you know, it's not just a one-on-one phone call uh, in a 1-800 call center that only two people get to listen in on unless they're, unless they're recording for QA, then maybe two managers get to listen. <laughs> uh, but, but no, it's, it's this thing now on, on Twitter, on, on Facebook. And uh, so many people can view in on what, what companies said they would do and, and what they actually did. Right. So let's shift to talking about pink goldfish. So you have all these books that you've written and I love, you know, the framework of each color and how they have a different purpose. So, you have ones on data, you have ones on, on one on purpose. Um, tell me about the other books you've written and let's kind of dive into pink goldfish. Yeah. So I'll give you the, you know, the first, the, my background was 20 plus years working in marketing with Adidas, a couple agencies, IMG and Synergy and with the, the PGA of America. So I very much came from kind of the marketing outlook. And what I realized was too much of marketing was focused on the prospect and not enough in my opinion was focused on the customer and their experience. So my first book Purple Goldfish was all about how can you kind of win customers and influence word of mouth through the experience that you provide. That if you take care of the customers that you have as my friend Peter Shankman says, they'll bring you the customers that you want. And so purple was all about the little things that you could do. But what I quickly realized, Adam, is that as much as you want to focus on the customer, you can't have happy customers 
unless you have happy, engaged employees. So that's what Green Goldfish was about. It was beyond the dollars that you pay. How can you do the little things to drive engagement and reinforce culture? And then that led to the golden goldfish. And there's a little bit of a rhyme and reason on the colors. The, the first three books were an ode to New Orleans and Mardi Gras. And the three official colors of Mardi Gras, purple, green, and gold. And so there's one word that kind of exemplifies this idea of going above and beyond. It's called lanyap. It's a word that's from New Orleans. Um, and so gold was really interesting. It was about both customers and employees, but the realization that you don't treat everyone the same. You know, for most businesses, Adam, 80% of profitability comes from just 20% of customers. And I would argue also for most businesses, 80% of the value that's generated within an organization is generated by just 20% of the employees. So gold was all about the little things that you do for your best, or what I call in the book, your vital few. Sure, sure. And then you I mentioned blue is all about technology, data, and analytics. Because that's the future of how do you personalize the experience? How do you become more responsive? How do you become more proactive? And red, which we just talked about, um, was all, all about purpose. And now pink is kind of going back to the roots. But pink is all about how do you differentiate and stand out in a crowded marketplace? I like the roots of Mardi Gras because I've actually, I've been to Mardi Gras. I've experienced that. And one thing, yes, I have. And I, I went for, I think we did 11 days and every day we went to a day parade and a night parade. We were, we were running. I mean, it was, it was a packed week. Uh, I'll never forget that experience. And one thing that I can say about Mardi Gras is the passion. And I love that you called out those colors and how that ties back and, you know, having attended that event and seeing that it is, it's a passionate week. I mean, it's a passionate time, you know, for those people and, and just the traditions and the cultures. And it, it that's really cool for me. That really kind of uh, drives back. So I love that. And I did notice, you know, Lang Yap was, was used in, in red goldfish and I think throughout the others, but I, I love that tie back and just having experienced myself uh, that, that really hits home. Hey, you, you'll appreciate it from just a trust perspective. Lanyap is about the relationship and the idea that you want to try to do a little something extra to go beyond just the transaction. And it's that little thing that you do that shows that you care, that if done correctly, I think could be a signature thing, a signature differentiator for the business. And I think one thing we did you know, years ago to kind of take a more campaign approach and to stand out. And it might have been fine at the time, but I think we've evolved away from it was, you know, the phrase surprise and delight. And it was this way to get people excited and, and, you know, but it was, I think the struggle with it though, is we were only surprising, delighting maybe a few people. And, and when you do that to customers, it, you know, they kind of tend to look to the left and to the right and they're like, well, 
why didn't I get picked? Why, why didn't I get something, you know, sent to me? Uh, I'm, I'm active on Twitter. You know, I may not have as many followers as the guy who just got the, the big fancy gift basket on his doorstep, but what about me? And so I, I'm glad to see that we've kind of shifted away from that. And Stan, wouldn't you say that that was pretty, uh, hot for a while, but now we've kind of moved away from that. Yeah, I think this idea of random to me had much more of a campaign or PR buzz type of feel to it. I mean, I think people see through what it is. It's kind of a, you know, to your point, it's, it was done just for publicity, publicity's sake. And so what I think the 2.0 or the 3.0 version is thinking more of this idea of something that you do all the time and that it's a, what I would call a branded act of kindness. I love that. And that's one thing on episode five for listeners. If you want to go back and listen to how Columbia Sportswear really manages their content strategy, they do it, you know, every 30 days, they have a really big push around new pieces of content. And they've said, you've always got to be on, you can't, wait for a, you know, a season or a holiday or something else, you've always got to be on. I'd say that's another shift we're seeing in, in the coming years as well, or it's, you don't go quiet for a few months and then come back with this big PR campaign. Right. So I, I, I think, I think marketing going forward is going to be less about a campaign and more about a commitment. Absolutely. Well, Talk about what people can expect from Pink Goldfish. This is all about, you know, what makes your story and your company unique. Talk to us about, and, and by the way, this book just came out, and make sure to watch for it on Amazon. It's, it's live now. You can buy it now. Talk to us about why is it so important to focus on what makes us different? Uh, you know, it used to be, Adam, that your your competition was across town, and location could be a differentiator um, that, you know, your competition is no longer a mile down the road. They're merely a, a click away. Uh, and I think we have so much information and so much choice at our fingertips that uh, being able to stand out uh, in a very crowded marketplace or what I would call a sea of sameness is going to become just table stakes going forward. Um, it's too hard to be a commodity and just compete on price. I think you, you know, our, the onus is on us as, as marketers to give our customers something to talk about, to tweet about, to, fo- to post to fake Facebook about. Um, and so Pink Goldfish was really about seven different ways that you can stand out by either embracing what makes you more, what makes you different or purposefully doing less of what would make you normal um, amongst all of your competition. Now, one thing you talk about is how, you know, even almost being transparent about your weakness or, or something that you maybe, you know, falter at, so talk about that because I think a lot of people may hesitate with that. Like, well, we don't want to we don't want to talk about what we're not doing right or maybe a weakness of ours. 
But how do you think that builds trust? Because that is something that I think uh, can absolutely build trust with others well, by being I, transparent. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree more. I, I wrote this book with um, an amazing co-author. His name's David Rendell. And David's platform is called, um, and it's the title of one of his former books, it's called Freak Factor. And Freak Factor is about the idea that what makes us weak also makes us strong. And the idea that what makes us weird is what makes us wonderful. And so to your point, um, what most people try to do is that they perceive that they have certain weaknesses. So they try to push down those weaknesses or try to be something maybe they're, they're not. So I'll give you an example in business. So if you're small, if you're a small player within your space, you know, some people would go, well, well that's, that's a weakness, right? What you need to do is actually try to portray yourself as being bigger than who you are. And we talk about in the book, that's absolutely the wrong approach. Because if you're small, there's actually a lot of strength in being small. You can be more adaptive. You can be more responsive. You can actually be more personal in your interactions with your customers. In fact, um, you know, done correctly, you could portray yourself in all of those strong things of being small and make it into a strength. Um, so that's really, you know, the, the idea that maybe what we may perceive as flaws are truly the things that make us different. And actually the beauty lies within the imperfection. I'm not just saying that Kanye this week, Kanye West went on Twitter and that was his quote, the beauty lies within the imperfection. Yep. Yeah, I. when you talk about the small business and having really strong touch points with customers, that actually came from uh, an interview I did with Kendall Card, who's the owner of CamelFire.com. And he entered the industry with a very small business, and it was a very large industry. The hunting and fishing industry is fairly large. And so on episode seven, interviewed Kendall, and he said, man, every little customer we got, we just really wrapped our arms around them. And we really showed them that, you know, and, and people didn't know what to expect. They didn't think they were super big or super small, but he said, we really had to prove that that was our purpose is, is creating a special experience. And so 10 years later, they still actually offer that same level of service. They, they have very high connection points. He said, we were small and we didn't have a lot of money, right. but what we could do is bootstrap trust and we could bootstrap time. Mm. And I love, and I always kind of go back to that. Even that was weeks ago, we had that interview. And I just think that's what so many people can remember is that it's not about dumping big dollars into ad campaigns and then trying to, you know, break through all this noise. It's about bootstrapping time and trust. Mm -hmm. Yep. I couldn't agree more. That's cool. And so one thing we've seen in the last few years is ad blocking software has increased, you know, 30% in the last, you know, 24 months. Now it reaches and is installed on over 600 million devices. People are trying to filter out all the noise they're getting. So Stan, tell me what your take is on this. Are brands that you're working with and maybe included in the case studies, do you feel like they felt this and, and they've got to figure out how to overcome this? 
I, I, I absolutely. I think our ability to interrupt people through traditional advertising, traditional tell and sell is one more expensive than it is ever Two, um, people don't inherently trust what they, what they see in advertisements. And three, they now have the tools to actually block your ability to interrupt them. Um, so I think that actually puts such a bigger emphasis on giving your current customers a reason to be able to tell their friends and colleagues about you. Um, and here is, I think, one of the biggest mistakes that we make sometimes in marketing is, Adam, that we, we sometimes view that someone who's acquired through traditional means is equivalent in value to somebody who's been referred to us by a current customer. And, and the studies show that they're, they're nowhere near equal. In fact, that over their lifetime, that referred customer can be upwards of four times as valuable to a brand. And the reason why they're four times as valuable, because they've been referred, they typically will, will spend more and stay longer as a customer and spend up to twice the amount of money over their lifetime. And because they've been referred themselves, they will, over their lifetime, refer up to twice the amount of people than somebody who's been acquired through traditional means. So they're absolute gold. And I think the emphasis is on, again, giving your current customers a reason to want to be able to tell your story and, and, and refer their friends and colleagues. So the trickle-down effect is so impactful here. Oh, because yeah, it's absolutely. Not, it's not just about a oh, great, I have a lower you know, cost per acquisition because I got a referral, but more of the value of that referral is years and years so impactful versus someone acquired through traditional. Correct. And, and especially if you're not able, if you've got a leaky bucket and you're, you're losing you know, a high percentage of your customers every year, it's very hard to sustain, sustain through traditional means, again, of which it's getting more and more expensive and more and more difficult to reach those customers. And when, how long do you think companies, it's going to take for them to figure this out? Because as we talk about shifts and, you know, in the, in the coming years of what's going to work and what's not, something like that, I think, is going to take longer for people to realize. But when do you think companies are really going to grasp that this is happening and it's happening now. It's, it's not future state. No, it's, it's happening now and it's happening at a much more rapid scale. Um, I would say, you know, the, the old rhyme, you know, when's the best time to, to plant an oak tree. Do you know the answer to that one, Adam? I do, but I want to see if, uh, I want to see if any listeners know that send, Send me and Stan a tweet. I'm at Adam underscore Buchanan. Well, there's two, you're gonna there's have two to times. When is the best time and what's the second best time? Well, the best, plant an best oak time tree? is the best time is right now. <laughs> right. Well, the best time was actually 20 years ago. Oh, okay. The second, the second, the best, second time. best time is 
tomorrow or today if you're today yeah so yeah i i think if if you're not starting to think about um if you're not studying how you're getting customers and you're not driving referral and you're not measuring things like net promoter that you absolutely need to to understand what percentage of your customers are actually uh, or indicating that they will refer you to a friend or a colleague. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And as again, just the ad blocking software is just one little tiny piece of evidence of, of what's really going on here. Um, but, but back to, I want to make sure, uh, get connected with Stan Phelps on Twitter, send him what your answer was, whether it was 20 years ago or, or today or tomorrow, stands at Stan Phelps PG on, on Twitter. And I'm at Adam underscore Buchanan. Make sure to let us know what, what your answer was. I love that. That's, that's a great w- way to look at that. One question we did have from a listener, this comes from Caleb Whittle, brings us two questions. And if you ever have any questions, this actually came from Caleb in the Facebook group. You can join the Marketing Trust Facebook group. Just search Marketing Trust and you'll be able to join and you'll see me in the big red glasses uh, there to give you a warm welcome. But uh, Caleb asks, how do you adapt differentiation and captivation to changing consumers? Well, I think they, they're, they're hand in hand, right? The subtitle of our, of our book for Pink Goldfish is Defy Normal, Exploit Imperfection, and Captivate Your Customers. So I think that you know, the idea of being able to stand out and especially doing it in a way that's meaningful to your customers um, and in some cases doubling and tripling down on those things that make you different are the things that are actually going to grab the attention and captivate. And when you can captivate someone, you become very talkable. And uh, as Seth Godin put it the best, you know, what you want to be in in business um, is not only remarkable, but remarkable. Awesome. That's a great answer. And then the second one he asks, this comes from Caleb, how quickly do you think a method of of differentiation becomes obsolete? So he kind of references thinking of Blockbuster versus Netflix here. Sure. So, you know, the we talk about seven different ways in the book and the acronym that we use is called FLOSSOM. So we talk about this idea of flaunting, lopsiding, antagonizing withholding, swerving, opposing, and micro-weirding. And what, uh, you know, if you're only just doing one thing, Adam, if you're a one-trick pony, that's going to become old very quickly. And so I think what great brands do um, in big ways and little ways, they're constantly evolving to think of little things that they can do to stand out. Um, so I think it's, it, it's an incumbent upon any brand to try to think about various ways because today's extra or today's difference becomes tomorrow's expectation. 
And so if you're not taking a mindset of needing to be agile and continuously looking at ways to be different, you're going to fall behind. I think that's what we've seen, especially with the surprise and delight. It's, oh, great. Is this what we can expect you from, you know, from you now? And we have to be careful with that because it may not be something we can scale or do every time and to everyone. So I like how you laid that out, that not only do we need to be different and continue to refine this, but, you know, what's working now uh, in, in terms of differentiation may need to be revisited, you know, in, in the coming times. And I think that's one thing we see with marketing. Things move so quickly now. And I tell a lot of, you know, brands and companies that I work with, it's we've got to revisit this you know, often. And what's working now, we can't get too excited about, but we've got to find out, okay, what's the next thing that we can kind of uh, iterate upon this? Here's the thing. Sometimes we get wrapped up and it has to be something that's added value, right? It's got to be something that stands out in terms of how we deliver it. Um, And sometimes there's, you know, you're talking about adding cost and that's a difficult thing. One of the things I think gets lost is one of the things we talk about in Pink Goldfish, sometimes you can actually stand out by doing less, yeah, removing choice, removing options from, from your customers in order to stand out. And the, the same thing is what we call maintenance. Sometimes it's little things that you can do just to make it easier for your customer to do business with you. And those little things that remove friction can be even more beneficial than the the kind of sexy added value. The one company that comes to mind for that, and we have one right next to our house, is In-N-Out Burger. Mm. And if you've if you've ever eaten In-N-Out Burger, they have the most simple menu on the planet. And so when I roll up with my four kids, I'm like, okay, what do you want? Never mind. I know what you want because it's so easy to select and I can order very, very quickly. And and they've they've seen a lot of response from that. People love to have that simple menu, but it's also backwards because if you know anything about In and Out, and you've been a couple times, and this is where word of mouth comes in with In and Out. If you talk to a raving fan, there's language there, involved. There's yeah, there's the well, you got to get it, you know, protein, protein style, an animal burger, and the double double. I mean, it's there's a whole nother language that is unwritten. I don't, I don't know if anyone's ever really written that down and, and handed it to somebody and said, well, here's the menu they're not telling you that exists. Right. I love that they have built such a simple menu, and yet it is still so talkable. Yeah, if you're, I mean, literally, I just wrote about them last Wednesday in Forbes. And part of that is, yeah, that there's that whole idea of, one, you can't, there's only like four items on the menu. And two, that there is this insider feel on how you can order. And it used to be that you could order, uh, you know, a, a four by four or a six by six, which was the amount of patties and the amount of cheese and one of the things I wrote about was somebody walked into a, an In-N-Out and ordered a 100 by 100. And, and it was in Las Vegas. It was actually Tony Shea, who's the, the CEO of Zappos and his friends. And they literally consumed a burger that had 100 patties and 100 pieces of cheese. Oh, 
Well, if, if if anyone listening now wasn't hungry before, you're probably hungry now. So <laughs> that's that's a great story. And they delivered, right? I mean, they they brought it out. No no problem. Yeah, they brought it. They, I think because of health regulations and making sure it's everything is cooked 100 percent through. I think the max you can do is is four by four. But you know what? Go and order 25 of those if you want. Yeah. Hey, sign a waiver. It's all good. You know? (laughs) Yes. I love that. Well, thank you so much for walking us through Pink Goldfish. This is great. And what would you say is the biggest thing for listeners to walk away with their business, you know, that comes out of Pink Goldfish? I think it's, it's trying to be aware of what makes you different. And sometimes we can't see that ourselves, Adam. You know, sometimes it's hard to see the label, when you're sitting inside the jar of honey. And so, yes, exactly. <laughs> and so what, what, what I would, what I would recommend people to do is, you know, go out and talk with your customers, ask them why they do business with you. Ask them what makes you different than all of the other options out there. And then appreciate that. And if you're brave enough Try to figure out ways that you can either maximize it or minimize it um, and take it to take it, as we say in the book, you know, one louder or uh, up to 11. That's awesome. Well, thank you for that. That's that's a great takeaway to, to make sure we're listening to our customers, revisiting what makes us special. All right. Well, we are just wrapping up this episode, but before we do, we have a fun segment I like to call Name That Handle. This is a game that I play with all my guests. I find someone they're connected with on social media. In this case, I'm giving you a hint. Stan, this is someone that's connected with you on Twitter. And the way this works is I give you one word clues about who I am talking about, and you get to take guesses and find out who this is. Are you ready? Jeez, I'm with trepidation, I am. He's so excited. I love it. I love it. All right. So here is the first word. Author. Author. Okay. (laughs) Uh, And I guess I have to guess based on this. Yeah. And you, and you can, you can take a pass. You can't Um, phone a friend. Um, I can't phone a friend. Okay. Um, Seth Godin. Ooh. No, no. Okay. Good guess. Good guess. All right, next one. Bald. Shep Hyken. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) For the win? For the win. Nice work. (laughs) Round of applause, everybody. Yeah, he's he's got a great hairstyle. He does, yeah. And, uh, you know, anyone who can rock that hairstyle is is high in my book, for sure. Um... Wow. Shep Hyken, well played. Shep Hyken is a customer service and experience expert. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. It's just Hyken, H-Y-K-E-N. We actually met up with with Shep at IBM Think. Yep. Awesome guy. Um, Super fun to hang out with. Great great follow on Twitter. Super active on Twitter and, and a very accomplished magician. That's right. And loved, loved Shep. Just a really really smart guy and he and and a really phenomenal public speaker he's always speaking and doing great work there yes shep is definitely worth a follow on twitter 
Well, awesome. Well, that covers it for Name That Handle. I think you're the fastest that we've had done. A lot of people got up to, I don't know, four to five to six guesses. Really? Well, and it was the hairstyle. It's the hairstyle. It's, it's what connected you to absolutely. He's got, he's got well, naturally wavy hair. That's right. Well, make sure to connect with Stan. He's a phenomenal author, public speaker on Twitter at Stan Phelps PG. Also check out his website, stanphelpsspeaks.com, and make sure to get your copy of Pink Goldfish on Amazon. And he's also a Forbes writer, so make sure to watch what he's putting out. He's got a lot of great content out there as well. Thank you, Stan, for joining. Uh, This has been another episode of the Marketing Trust Podcast. This has been another episode of the Marketing Trust Podcast, where I help you infuse more trust with your customers to help grow your business. I'm Adam Buchanan, and I want to thank you for listening.